Right, our scripture reading this morning will be from uh, the book of Acts, chapter 4, verses 1 through 22. Um, if you're reading on in one of the Bibles in the chair in front of you, that's on page uh, 513. If you are in need of a Bible, please bring um, that Bible home with you as a gift from Cornerstone. So Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 22. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and, because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Terry. All right, let me pray. Lord, thanks for your word. Thank you for this narrative of the early church, the first church. Uh, the first pastors, the first apostles, the first evangelists and the ministry that they did. Lord, with this, uh, move in our hearts in a way that is uh, supernatural and divine as the Holy Spirit does something in us. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're talking about evangelism, and this is always a uh, convicting topic for uh, me and maybe for you, uh, but I wanted to start with a, just a couple 
scenarios that uh, you might have experienced in your own life, or maybe they're similar. Uh, and so the first one is of John and Dave. They're at Dave's home, and they're working on the AC unit in the back. Maybe you have one of those. And uh, John is a believer, right? He is a Christian, and he begins to ask David, you know, do you go to church? And David explains that he hasn't gone to Mass in years. He's Catholic. Uh, and they end up having a conversation. They talk a little bit about the differences between Catholicism and, uh, and John's church, uh, uh, the Christian church that he attends, the Baptist church. And uh, they talk a little bit about the differences, but the differences kind of stay high level, right? That, like the Catholic church has priests, the Baptist church has pastors, uh, the Catholic church baptizes babies, the, the, the Baptist church doesn't. And they don't really talk about like any of the real kind of theological differences. They don't talk about grace or sin or how you deal with those. Uh, and then as they wrap up fixing the, the air conditioning unit, uh, David says this. He says, it's not really what you believe that matters, just that you have faith, just that you believe. And John knows in his heart, he's like, I know that's not right. <laughs> it's not what the scriptures say. But he doesn't say anything. He just kind of lets it go because he doesn't want to offend David. And he wonders, should I have said something more? So that's our first illustration. Our second kind of uh, uh, illustration is of Samantha and Jesse. They have just finished their Zumba class, uh, and Samantha is a recent believer, and she invites Jesse out to grab some coffee after class, and they're on their way to Dunkin' Donuts, of course, uh, when Jesse uh, starts telling uh, Samantha how uh, difficult her marriage has been and uh, how, how things are going, and uh, Samantha is listening, and uh, as, a, as a recent believer, she knows about Christ, and she wants to share, and she wants to encourage, and so that's what she tries to do. She, she offers words of encouragement, but she's also kind of nervous, like, hey, if I start telling uh, uh, Jesse about my belief and my faith in Christ, will that be interpreted as, like, I'm being religious, and I'm kind of, you know, shoving my beliefs uh, uh, into your face? Like, I, I don't want to be offensive. And so she says, oh, I'll pray for you. And uh, when Jesse hears that, Jesse is grateful and seems to say thank you uh, and really mean it. Uh, and then the conversation just kind of turns to a lighter topic. And uh, Samantha wonders, you know, should I have shared Christ? Should I have shared a little bit more the encouragement that I have received in him? Uh, and instead she prays. She's like, well, I said I'd pray, so I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit for another chance, for another try. And so these are our two stories. Maybe something in that resonates with you in your own life or some experience that you have had. Uh, I, I can certainly resonate uh, with these where the Lord gives us an opportunity to talk and we kind of miss it or we're not quite as clear as we wanted to be. Uh, and we walk away, at least I do, <laughs> feeling like guilty uh, that I didn't share quite clearly enough and um, I, I feel burdened. And maybe you feel burdened for your friend or your coworker and that they need to hear about Jesus, uh, or maybe you feel guilty or burdened uh, because you know that's how your pastor wants you to feel, uh, but you don't actually feel that way. And so I kind of wrestle uh, with this, like, how should we feel about these things, and, and what stops us from sharing the gospel? Like, what stops us from evangelizing, right? We live in New England, so perhaps it's a little bit more of a culture that resists uh, kind of openly sharing your faith, uh, but oftentimes I think it might just be apathy, like not, not really thinking about it all that much, or uh, I don't know, maybe it's lack of opportunity. 
you know, no clear opening. I don't know if that's always the case because we can always try to open a door. How about fear of rejection? I think probably that's the biggest in my own life, uh, nervousness and anxiety about how will this person uh, take it when I want to share about Jesus. And so as I come to this passage and as I was reflecting on it this week, Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 22, I was convicted. I was convicted by this example of two men, of Peter and John, who boldly and courageously share the gospel. And they do evangelism in a very public way, and they're not ashamed and they're not afraid. Or if they are, there's something in them, there's some hope that they have that gets them past their fear and past their anxiety. And so I think there's something we can take from this. There's something that we can learn and be challenged to uh, be a little bit bolder in sharing the gospel with others. Now, this, the, the scenario, the thing that has happened is uh, they were coming to the temple to pray. We started this story last week. 3 p.m. in the afternoon, Peter and John come to the temple. They meet a man who is crippled. Uh, he's sitting outside the beautiful gate, the gate called Beautiful, and he asks for money. And they say, well, we don't have silver, we don't have gold, but what we do give you, you know, in the name of Jesus Christ, be healed. And this man jumps up and is healed, and he runs into the temple courts and begins to shout and praise God and say, hey, look at me, I've been healed. These two men have healed me. And that's kind of when all the problems start. Right? They, uh, Peter and John use it as an opportunity to share the gospel, to share about Jesus, his death, his resurrection, like to be evangelists, to evangelize. And the, uh, those that are in charge, the temple priests, the, uh, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, uh, they don't like it. And so uh, in our story, they're going to come on out. They're going to tell them to stop. It says, uh, in my translation, it says they were greatly disturbed they were vexed. They were annoyed. And it, it says like they literally laid hands on them. Like that doesn't give you a good image. Like when someone lays their hands on you, uh, it's not something you want. They throw them into jail. They seize them. And I think Peter and John, if we were to for a moment put ourselves in their shoes, they probably have, uh, have one of two responses, right? They're probably experiencing uh, perhaps inward fear, uh, fear of man, uh, uh, fear of man produces kind of this, uh, this inward fear where, uh, you know, they're being, uh, the, the temple guard is coming and placing their hands on them and throwing them in the jail. And I think the, the most natural response, the most human response would just be to feel anxiety and fear, like what's going to happen? Uh, but ultimately that is an inward focused fear, right? What's going to happen to me? Or you can feel fear of God, right? Fear of of God that leads to outward courage. Oh, fear of God is not just like I feel terror about God. It's a, it's a reverent fear. It's a respect for who God is and that he's the ultimate one with the ultimate power. And we just uh, reviewed this like time and time again in our sermon series from Proverbs. Proverbs 1-7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So when we truly know who God is, it, it, it changes our hearts. Right? We begin to fear man less and God more, but in a way that is honoring to him and is actually healthy for us. And as we think about Peter and John, like they must have had this fear of the Lord. Right? They must have uh, trust in God and, and not have been afraid of man. And, and they, they don't stop evangelizing. And the, the, the priests, they, they say, you need to stop it. And if we were to jump down to verses 18 through 20, we see this. 
Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach uh, at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. See, they are so focused on God, what God has planned, what God has willed, and what others need, right, that the crowds need Jesus, that it overcomes their fears, that it overcomes whatever anxieties they may have been experiencing. And so today I want to kind of look at four fears that maybe you and I experienced and maybe they could have experienced in their situation, and then four hopes that kind of counteract those fears. Four hopes that we can place our trust in in our lives uh, to maybe get past that anxiety and be willing to share Christ and, and to actually take, take that leap of faith. And so the first fear is a fear of harm, uh, which we meet, we answer with hope in the resurrection. So if we look back at verse 1, it says the temple had a police force called the temple guard. Now, we're not exactly sure if these were priests. If they probably were priests. They, maybe not. Uh, but they're highly trained. Uh, they're skilled. Uh, they're probably very zealous, right? When you mix military and religion, uh, there's just like this, uh, this zeal that can come out. Uh, like there, in the summers in Estes Park where I grew up, uh, the police force hired uh, rent-a-cops to kind of patrol through the downtown area and to help People like just to blow their whistles at people when they jaywalked. Uh, These are not rent-a-cops. These are not like them. They are serious. This is God's ground, and they are are called by God to protect the temple complex. And they see Peter and John, and they're like, "Let's, let's, let's throw them in jail. There's also Caiaphas and Annas there, verse 6. They are, uh, one of them's a, cur- a, a current high priest, one of them's a past high priest. And these are the men who, just a few weeks prior, what did they do? <laughs> they arrested Jesus, and they got him executed. Uh, Peter even says to them that Jesus is the one whom you crucified. Now, I have talked about how their, audiences were, their audience was kind of corporately guilty, right? We see that in Acts chapter 2 of the death of Jesus, and how perhaps even some ways we can share that guilt, but like... They, they literally killed Jesus. They literally killed their teacher, their rabbi, uh, and put him to death. Now, he rose again from the grave, but it just goes to show that this is a serious situation. Like, if, if someone murdered my uh, seminary professor and started threatening me for being a pastor, I would take that pretty seriously. Maybe you would take that pretty seriously, too. But I also want to stop. Fear of harm, right, has... Has anyone actually ever threatened you for, like, sharing about Jesus? Like, physically or, uh, you know, like, threatened you for sharing Christ? Like, if our, in our opening story, you know, David and John are talking with each other, uh, and, uh, and John, uh, David says, you know, you better stop telling me about Jesus or I'm going to punch you in the face. <laughs> like, I've never experienced that. Maybe you have experienced that, but most of us haven't. Maybe you've, uh, more likely we've probably experienced some sort of uh, mental or emotional um, weight, uh, fears, anxieties. Perhaps people have uh, ostracized us or criticized us for our belief in Jesus or just told us to stop. But chances are, you know, the, the, in our culture, in our world right now, 
like the, 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 the highest risk is just like social ostracization. <laughs> I messed up that word, ostracization, uh, being excluded, right? That's probably the highest risk, not being thrown in jail. And so uh, as we kind of wrestle with a fear of harm, we have to realize that you know, maybe it's not as big as we think. Perception is reality, right? So that means we need to change our perception. We need to change the things that we are focusing on. And so what's the, the thing that we can focus on that kind of changes our reality a little bit? And that's hope in the resurrection. We, if we begin to think like Peter and John, I think it's going to change us. They seem to be incredibly focused on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus just rose from the grave. They say, we can't help but talk about this. It consumes them. In, the, in the, the, these two chapters, chapters three and four, kind of in this story, they talk about the resurrection three times. Once to the crowd, and then again to the crowd, and then once to the leaders. That Jesus died and rose from the grave. So next time that you are uh, feeling fear of harm or like, um, you know, uh, social exclusion, think of the resurrection. No matter what they do to you, right? If, 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 if sadly, like, they actually did physically harm you or even take your life, we have hope. We have the resurrection. We have life again. We have life eternal in Jesus Christ. And I think when we set our minds on that, it begins to, to deal with some of those fears. Focus on that. Hope in the resurrection overcomes our fear of harm. But of course, there's more harm than that. I mean, there's more fears than that. I think the second one is uh, perhaps a little bit more real, fear of man's authority. Fear of man's authority, and I think that is overcome by hope in Christ's authority. See, Peter and John, they displease uh, the temple guards, the priests, but also the rulers. See, rulers in verse 5. Now, in Jerusalem, the, the religious and government and political, they kind of all mixed together, right? The temple was this center of like economic and political and religious uh, uh, power. Uh, now, it's like if I were to imagine that like uh, our church uh, was also functioning as town hall plus like the police station. Uh, if, if all of that was going on here in this church building, that would be kind of a little bit more like what uh, they're experiencing there. But Acts goes out of its way to say those who were in charge were there. Those that were in the government, the rulers were in the house. And then Peter and John, they're brought before the Sanhedrin, a ruling council made up of 70 uh, powerful Sadducees and Pharisees. Most of them didn't believe in the resurrection, the Sadducees, but the Pharisees did. And it's presided over by the high priest, the high priest who just had Jesus killed. Now, the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin can't condemn anyone to death, but they can sure try their hardest <laughs> And they just got Jesus crucified when they took him to Pilate. And so we see uh, the potential for a lot of fear of man's authority here. I, re I reviewed a chapter of the book, uh, The Gospel and Personal Evangelism by Mark Dever. And there's a kind of reasons we don't evangelize in this book. And basic excuse number two is evangelism is illegal. Uh, that's true in some countries, he says, that are atheistic or Muslim, even some that are Christian in name, uh, but that really isn't true here in our country, and we're blessed in that way. 
Now, for some of us, maybe you're thinking, well, yeah, sure, as a culture, as a country, but what about my job? Like, I, I work as a teacher, or I work in government, and so I'm really not allowed to share about Christ. And I think uh, there's validity to that, that we have to be careful about when we share about Christ, but I think sometimes we can also use it as an excuse, we don't look for those opportunities because there's always opportunities to like, invite a coworker then to come to your house for an evening or, or try to go out for lunch or you have that, that lunch hour break that perhaps you can talk. And number two, we also have to remember that Jesus' command to go and make disciples, it supersedes all other laws, all other um, guidelines, all other ordinances, Right? Jesus' command to to share the gospel, it supersedes everything. And so there is a time and place, right? There is a moment to be wise. There's a moment to be silent, but there's also a moment to speak. And so when we're afraid of man's authority, we need to remember Christ's authority and what he calls us to. And his command to share the gospel, it supersedes all earthly laws and regulations. Jesus uh, we, we read in Acts, right, he, he died, he rose again, but then what? he ascended into heaven. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's seated on the throne. This is, this is a place of authority and ruling and reigning. So Jesus is in charge. Not your boss, not, not the government, not any sort of regulation. Jesus is in charge. And, and, and uh, the, the, the priests here, like, they don't like this, right? The rulers, they don't like this. Uh, but they can't deny that Jesus' authority is real. Notice that in the passage, they don't say, well, this man isn't healed. They say, well, we don't like that this man is healed. Uh, we don't like it that he's, he's up and walking around. And, and Peter says this. He says, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone your builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Jesus is say, uh, Peter is saying something about Jesus' authority, that he's the one who is really in charge. I love this imagery of a cornerstone. It's a great name for a church. Uh, uh, comes from Jesus, right? The cornerstone... You probably already know this, but right, it's, the, it's the first stone that you lay in a foundation. And then kind of the rest of the foundation is built off that stone. It, it determines the, the direction of the walls. It can even determine like the width and the height of the walls, depending on like uh, the, the kind of how good the foundation is. But they're, they're, they're standing in the temple complex, right? And if you remember, Jesus identified himself as the new temple, so Jesus is this new, new, uh, new cornerstone of this new temple, and Jesus is actually called the first stone, and, and, and we as believers are, are like the, the rest of the living stones that then are building this new temple. And what does a temple house? It houses the very presence of God. And so Jesus fully houses the presence of God, and then we come as the church, and we house the presence of God, and saying, well, Jesus is building something new. He is that new stone of that new temple, he has complete authority, and you guys rejected him. You crucified him. See, Peter and John are not afraid of earthly authority. They are mindful of God's authority, of Christ. And so when we feel fearful and afraid, we need to remember who is really in control. It's not my boss. It's not the government. It's Jesus Christ. 
This is, uh, man, this passage like it convicted me this week, and I hope maybe you'll go home and read it again, and then it will convict you that, uh, that we need to be bold and courageous about sharing the gospel. There is a time and place, but I think there are more times and places than we realize. The Lord gave me opportunities this week to share the gospel. Like I was praying, I was going to my gym, my front line, and the Lord gave me like two opportunities this week. I think maybe it was because I was praying for it and it was more on my mind. Uh, and so, you know, when people mention like, oh, I go to church or, um, you know, my kid's getting baptized this week, like I was a little bit more on top of it of asking about it. And I had some really interesting, fascinating conversations this week. But my hope is that this doesn't stop with me, but that all of us go out and our, and our ears are just a little bit more open and that we're a little bit more mindful and that we multiply in our evangelistic efforts and that we're all kind of saying, okay, Lord, maybe you're going to do something in my life this week. Maybe I'm going to share the gospel. Maybe I'm going to be able to have that joyful experience of telling others about Jesus. Let's have a conversation. That's what it is. We're just looking for that opening. We're looking for that conversation, that ability to share about Christ and then to, uh, to really share about Jesus and his death and resurrection. Just remember the resurrection, right? That Jesus died, he rose again, and his sacrifice on the cross pays the penalty for our sins. Like, that's it. If you communicate that, like you've communicated the gospel, you don't have to do it in the most perfect way. You don't have to have all your words right. Jesus just calls us to share, and so I hope that we'll do that. Hope in Christ's authority overcomes fear of man's authority. I, I, I literally had a situation that was like the intro that I had written to this sermon. I'm like, well, Lord, I guess you want me to try this out. And thinking about Jesus really kind of got me through that initial moment of awkwardness to just have a conversation. And um, I don't want to share too many details, but uh, the person I was talking to was definitely espousing like a, a different way, a different way of believing that really it's all about morals. And I was able to say, well, actually, there's only one good person, right? We can't all be good. There's only one person who's been good, and that's Jesus. And so, like, the Holy Spirit resides in you as well, right? If you're part of this temple, right? if, if Jesus is the cornerstone and you're part of this temple, like, you have God, his presence with you. God can do something amazing. And so the, the hope in Christ's authority, it, it helps overcome fear of man's authority. And number three, fear of loss is overcome by hope in lives saved. It talks about the elders here, right, that they were there. They're kind of like the lay leaders in Jerusalem. Uh, they weren't priests, but they were men in power and maybe uh, business owners or respected citizens. And I think it's fair to say that if uh, Peter and John crossed them, the elders in Jerusalem, they could expect a loss to their money, to their relationships, to their social standing, to their security. And I think uh, when we share, right, uh, we can experience a fear of loss. What will I lose? Will I lose my job? Will I lose a relationship? Will I lose my security? And so that's perhaps one of the reasons we don't share. But instead, what if, what if we focus not on what we could lose, but what we can gain? What we can gain in Christ Jesus. If we share it, there's a possibility that we will gain a brother or sister in Christ forever. So we, we kind of focus short-term, right? I, I'm afraid that I might lose my friend in this life, right? And the chances are you'll probably only be friends a couple years, maybe longer, a decade or two. But if you gain a brother and sister in Christ, you have the opportunity to be friends forever. <laughs> you have an eternal relationship. 
And so it's at least worth a try. If you never try, you'll never know. Acts 4.4 says this, But many who heard the message believed so that the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So they already had 3,000 people come in Acts chapter 3, and now at least another 2,000 men are added to their number. That doesn't include women and children. So this is a huge number of people who are, who are coming and being saved, and God is doing something amazing. And so hope and life saved can overcome our fear of loss. I read this, uh, this quote recently in a, in a book about uh, converts uh, somewhere in Asia. Uh, and the, the book... Uh, asked, how did you get to know about Christianity for the first time? So this is new believers. Not a single one of them reported that they had done so through the media or reading the Bible, nor were preachers of much impact. Good. Only 3% gave that as the source of their initial awareness. So 3% of these new converts came through, like, the professional, right? The, the, the one who's called and educated Instead, 90% had their initial contact with Christianity through interpersonal ties, through acquaintances, through family members, or neighbors. That's amazing. You know, and so it's like, okay, a game night just seems like a game night, right? No, this is an opportunity to make an eternal difference in the life of someone. Or it could be the first step, right? And then hopefully that opens up the chance to share the gospel and to share about Jesus, God can save lives through us. I know we, we want to trust the Holy Spirit, and that's what this is all about, right? We pray, we trust the Holy Spirit, but then we act, and we trust that the Holy Spirit is going to work through us. Like, walk in line with your prayer. Hope in lives saved overcomes fear of loss. And the fourth fear, fear of intellect and hope in the Spirit. Acts 4, verse 13 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Now the disciples, they were not dumb. They could probably speak, if not write, in multiple languages, Greek and Aramaic. But they weren't educated like the teachers of the law, the scribes who are there in this passage who are questioning their decisions. And so it's incredibly surprising to the teachers of the law when these men who they think have just been wandering around in the wilderness for three years, who've actually been wandering around in the wilderness with Jesus for three years, it's incredibly surprising when, when they preach with authority and they unpack the Old Testament and reference uh, Psalms and say, uh, Here, here's the fulfillment of this prophecy. This means that for you, like you don't need to to get what I have. You don't need to have a master of divinity or a master of theology or anything like that or even a Bible certificate to tell others about Jesus. You have to have a relationship with Jesus. You have to know him. You have to have the Holy Spirit. You have to have some understanding of the Bible. That's about it. You don't have to have it all together to share about Christ. Uh, Jesus said this in Luke chapter 12. He said, when you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, which we see being fulfilled right now, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. I think we should take great comfort in this, that we don't have to have like the perfect game plan for sharing Jesus with others. Oftentimes, it, if it's natural, it just kind of happens but we can say, I'm going to try to position myself and, and pray and ask the Lord for this to happen. And then trust that the Holy Spirit will move. And so hope in the Spirit can overcome like this fear that, oh, I have to be super smart or super educated to do, to do this. 
So how can we overcome our fear of sharing the gospel? Number one, hope in the resurrection overcomes fear of harm. Two, hope in Christ's authority overcomes fear of man's authority. Number three, hope in lives saved overcomes fear of loss. And number four, hope in the spirit overcomes fear of intellect. And these four kind of come together to form uh, one big idea uh, that faith in Jesus uh, can transform inward fear into outward courage. Faith in Jesus can transform inward fear into outward courage. And we see this in verse 12 when Peter uh, preaches Jesus. And there is, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's really hard to say Jesus is the only way. There's no salvation apart from Jesus Christ. But that's true, and that's what uh, what it means to tell others about Jesus, to say, yeah, this really is the only way. He is the only way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. But no, like this passage doesn't say that Peter and John were responsible for how the crowds responded or how the priests responded. It just shows us their example that they were courageous and they shared. And so I do believe that faith in Jesus, trusting him, it, it transforms us. It can transform inward fear into outward courage. I want to end with a story. So this comes from Mark Dever's book, The Gospel and Personal Evangelism. Uh, and uh, it's, a, it's a good little story, but I'll just close with this. So the story of John Harper. John Harper was born in a Christian home in Glasgow, Scotland in 1872. When he was about 14 years old, he became a Christian himself. And from that time on, he began to tell others about Christ. At 17 years of age, he began to preach, going down the streets of his village and pouring out his soul in passionate pleading for, uh, for men to be reconciled to God. Several years later, he was hired to do evangelism uh, full-time, and soon he started a church. And this church, which began with 25 members, uh, grew to over 500 by the time he left 13 years later. Evangelism works. In fact, he was such a zealous evangelist that the Moody Church in Chicago asked him to come over to America for a series of meetings. He did, and they went well. A few years later, Moody Church asked him if he would come back again, and so it was that Harper boarded a ship one day with a second-class ticket at Southampton, England, for the voyage to America. Harper's wife had died just a few years before, and he had with him his only child, Nana, age six. Nana remembered being woken up by her father a few nights into their journey. It was about midnight, and he said the ship they were on had struck an iceberg. Harper told Nana that another ship was just about to rescue them, but as a precaution, he was going to put her on a lifeboat with an older cousin who had accompanied them. As for Harper, he would wait until the other ship arrived. The rest of the story is a tragedy well known. Little Nana and her cousin were saved, but the ship they were on was the Titanic. The only way we know what happened to John Harper after is because in a prayer meeting in Hamilton, Ontario, some months later, a young Scotsman stood up in tears and told the extraordinary story of how he was converted. He explained that he had been on the Titanic the night it struck the iceberg. He had clung to a piece of floating debris in the freezing waters. Suddenly, he said, a wave brought a man near, John Harper. He, too, was holding a piece of wreckage. He called out, man, are you saved? No, I am not, I replied. He shouted back, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The waves bore Harper away, but a little later he was washed back beside again. Are you saved now? He called out. No, I answer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. 
Then, losing his hold on the wood, Harper sank. And there, alone in the night, with two miles of water under me, I trusted Christ as my Savior. I am John Harper's last convert. It's amazing how faith in Jesus can transform us, give us courage. And we don't want to wait until the boat is sinking. We don't need to wait until that dramatic moment. God is calling us to share about Jesus in the ordinary, everyday moments. So it's my prayer that we would do that. Let me pray right now. Heavenly Father, help us to share the gospel. Help us to evangelize. Evangelism is not a cool word in our culture, Lord. And yet you call us to it. I pray that you would give everyone in this room opportunities to share Jesus with those that do not yet know him this week. And Lord, I pray that you would put it on our hearts to pray for opportunities, to pray for opportunities to share. Lord, we are, uh, we are madly in love with Christ Jesus, and we want others to know him too. You bless our offering, our time together. In Jesus' name, amen.